Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at either 8.30 or 11 o'clock a.m. at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. Would you pray with me? Lord, we ask that you open our hearts and minds to understand the word that you wish to speak to us today through your scripture uh, and through your spirit in this moment. Uh, Where our hearts are hardened, soften them, that we might be uh, receptive to your word and leave here transformed more into your image. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Who would like to do something that earns $2.79 billion dollars? If you tithe, everybody, yes. Um. All right. Thank you. What if I told you it would take 11 years and every year you would have to risk a couple hundred million dollars uh, with the possible payoff at the end of making that much money? Would it, would it seem worth it? Andy says yes. Um. This is exactly what Marvel Studios did 11 years ago. They took a bet on some comic books being popular as movies. They started with Iron Man 1, the first first movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and told the story of Tony Stark becoming Iron Man, this billionaire playboy who gets stuck in an Afghanistan cave and has to build his way out. And uh, for 11 years, we followed Tony and all these other superheroes. They followed it up with The Incredible Hulk, which we try to pretend was not actually part, uh, because it was kind of a terrible movie. Uh, But they kept going every year, releasing a couple movies in this grand uh, plan they had. I think one person held this whole thing together. And every year, they'd make these multi-hundred dollar, multi-hundred million dollar movies uh, that just uh, packed out theaters. It resonated with people, and they'd show up. And it finally culminated this year in Avengers Endgame, $2.79 billion in ticket sales. And ticket sales aren't even the big deal for movies. It's merchandising and other things later. Three of the top five movies this year are Marvel movies. Captain America uh, Endgame, or not Captain America, uh, Avengers Endgame, Captain Marvel, and Spider-Man Homecoming. Three of the top five uh, are these superhero movies. Nobody's going to suggest these are probably Oscar winners. They they are not the thing that you get together with your uh, dinner crowd and have a fine French cheese and a good coffee to watch, right? You don't discuss the nuances of uh, the score with a Marvel movie. But $2.79 billion in ticket sales, they figured something out. They figured out that we like a good story. We like a story where we're introduced to people that we can uh, kind of follow along with them and see what their journey is. We like stories where something special happens, and we like stories where we have to see people kind of deal with the ramifications of uh, what's ahead of them. That's these, uh, these comic book movies. DC's tried to do it with Batman and some of these other ones, and they failed abysmally. Marvel has... Uh, figured this out, and they're just cranking them out one after another. They've just named another 22 movies coming out. They've got their own channel streaming that's going to come out, Disney Plus, that's got like 
four Marvel TV shows coming out because they figured that they can just tell story after story and hook us on these characters. By the time Avengers Endgame came out, like this whole last 30 minutes, it's just like new superhero after new superhero coming out. And you're like, oh, forgot about that guy and forgot about that guy. And oh, at one point, there's like 10 minutes of just the women superheroes just kicking butt. It's like the best part of the movie. And, and they knew they had us. They knew that they could pay all this money. This was not a cheap movie to make by any means because they knew they had us. Avatar was dethroned as the top movie of all time. And I bet they do it again. They're going to keep releasing these because they know that we love the story. Whether it's these movies or whether it's literature or musicals, whatever it is, we love a story where we can identify with a character. Uh, John Grisham was one of my favorite authors growing up, and I must have read The Firm 15 times the story of Mitch McDear graduating from law school and uh, going to work from Benzini Lock and Lambert in Memphis and the way he rose up against his circumstances to uh, be like the smartest on the block and then turns out he's working for the mob. And so he's got to bring down this evil empire and how he does it through uh, all these connections. Hamilton is like the most popular musical in the world right now because they figured out how to tell the story of the founding treasury secretary of the United States. I know more about Alexander Hamilton than I know about our current Treasury Secretary. I mean, I can sing, I'm not going to, I can sing the entire soundtrack and tell you the whole story of his life. Uh, when, when it, first half is pretty cool and it's, he's all great, and in the, in the middle of it he has this affair and the songs wrench at your heart and you then realize like the story is not going to end the way you thought it was and by the end his wife is back loving him and she sings about this orphanage she found and founded kind of in his honor and I'm like in the car crying to this day when I hear this song because Lin-Manuel Miranda figured out how to tell a story about somebody how to show where they got from where they were to where they are and brought us along in the tension of uh, that journey we love stories we love them in the church when, when I was a kid, we did Sunday school through flannel graphs. First service, we uh, established that flannel graphs are no longer a thing. Uh, but we did flannel graphs when I was a kid, and they'd put these little pictures of uh, an Old Testament character up there. They'd have Moses, and then they'd put a little burning bush under him and talk about uh, what it was like to see God in the burning bush. They didn't take a copy of Paul's letters and talk about discourse analysis. They didn't say, like, here is proposition number one followed by ethical imperative number two. Uh, we didn't uh, practice writing out the Levitical Code to understand when the Festival of Booths was, did we? Uh, is that in the new curriculum? Okay. We, we're a storied people. And the Bible is full of what, what really are origin stories for all these big characters. We have Moses with the burning bush out hearing from God and being told, go and, uh, and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And he's, I can't talk. I, I'm not a good speaker. Well, God's going to take care of it, and we follow Moses to the end. David, the youngest son of Jesse, we're going to anoint you king, uh, and God's going to be with you, and then we follow him through all of his trials and tribulations. The disciples, we're going to call you one by one, these rabbi school dropouts, to leave behind this new vocation you have and follow Jesus, who is going to tick off most of the people in your community, and we follow them and what they're doing. If history holds true, we know that, frankly, most of them ended up dying pretty terrible deaths. Uh, Paul's calling is a story we resonate with, this uh, remarkable Damascus Road experience where God says, this is what I want you to do, and this is how I'm going to let you do it. 
every prophet has a calling story. Uh, we started with Amos, and we thought, well, this is not great. Uh, and then we had Hosea, and we thought that was pretty terrible. Um, Isaiah didn't have it much better. And then this week, we start looking at Jeremiah. I really do think this time that Jeremiah has the worst deal of everybody. Uh, Jeremiah uh, has it worse than Job. At least Job in the end gets a family back, right? Uh, throughout the book of Jeremiah, it just seems like he has a raw deal. God calls him to do something, says he will journey with him, and then his life is really tough. Before I created you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I made you a prophet to the nations. Lord God, I said, I don't know how to speak because I'm only a child. The Lord responded, don't say I'm only a child. Where I send you, you must go. What I tell you, you must say. Don't be afraid of them because I want to rescue, because I'm with you to rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord stretched out his hand, touched my mouth, and said to me, I'm putting my words in your mouth. This very day I appoint you over nations and empires to dig up and pull down, to destroy and demolish, to build and to plant. God calls Jeremiah to a particular task and tells him what he's going to do. He's going to support him in what's ahead. Uh, the first part of the story we see all over Christian merchandising. Uh, before I created you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. It makes a great coffee cup, right? Uh, it's a beautiful tapestry in places. Uh, regularly in like the Cokesbury bulletins that you print out, it's a great little uh, catchy phrase. Be careful saying that before you were born, God knew you and set you apart for something. Because Jeremiah, what he was born and set apart for is pretty tough. He's going to have to walk around naked and he's going to not be able to take a wife. He's going to have all these things one after another. Halfway through the book, he literally says, why can't you just kill me? Who wants to go to the empires and nations of the world to dig up, pull down, destroy, and demolish? It's a pretty rough thing he's called to. Uh, when, when this text came up for our sermon today, uh, I really read it once and thought, ah, this is going to be a sermon about how we're all called and God has a plan for us. And, and what I've come to realize is uh, throughout Scripture, God calls one or two people to speak to all the people. God calls a person here and a person there to speak to the whole of humanity. Jeremiah is to talk to Israel and give them the words from God to show them what God is going to build up and tear down. I wanted to situate myself with Jeremiah when I read this passage, but really I think what we're supposed to understand ourselves as is Israel. Uh, we're supposed to be the people listening to the word from God, not thinking that we're the ones to give the word from God. We watch superhero movies, at least some of us do. I know not everybody here is a Marvel fan, but we watch superhero movies, and we think, I'd love to be Spider-Man. You really don't want to be Spider-Man, right? If you really watch how things end up for these superheroes, you don't want to be them. Tony Stark, Iron Man. I hope you've seen it, $2.79 billion. He dies in the end. Uh, sorry, Brian. Um, <laughs> You had time. They re-released it with extra footage to make sure they won. (laughs) 
we don't always want to be these characters. I know I've ruined this movie for somebody. And I, that, that really has just set me off on a whole. Now I just want to go over and apologize. And, oh, Lord. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Sorry. That was, <laughs> sorry. Um, you don't want to be the hero. And frankly, in most of these scenarios, you don't want to be the one called. You don't want to go through what Jeremiah goes through. You don't want to do these things. What we want to do is we want to be in tune to what God is tearing down and building up. Uh, Todd Nelson, our senior pastor, is doing his dissertation on calling and believes that uh, we use the language of calling entirely too lightly, uh, that in these particular ways, we're, we're flippant with what God's called me to. And I think what we've started to understand is that God has called us to faith, to salvation, that for most of us, what we need to be actually paying attention to is where is God speaking? Where is God tearing things down and building things up? Because he's doing it. Uh, the church is declining. We're putting a lot of money into churches across the country, and we're putting a lot of energy in to see them decline and decline and decline. Uh, Methodism in Kentucky averages a 12% decline over the last four years. But God's also building up. The church in Africa is growing gangbusters. They're spending hardly anything, and you're watching person after person come to faith. God is tearing some things down and building some things up. Uh, it, it's much harder now in America to say that you're a Christian. When my parents were growing up, it was understood that everybody was a Christian. Uh, you went to church whether you uh, believed it or not. You could uh, talk to your neighbor and say you're a Christian. There was nothing uh, weird about it. It is now abnormal, according to statistics, to be a Christian in America. Uh, far more people say they have no faith than do have faith. Far more people say uh, that they actually uh, do not believe in God. Things are changing. God's doing some tearing down, but he's also doing some building up. I look at Andover, and it has bucked every trend in Methodism in Kentucky. <laughs> When churches were declining, Andover was planted and grew. When we tried to launch new communities and they couldn't take off, Andover thrived. Uh, God had a perfect time for this community. Three other very faithful attempts were made to launch something in this building, and they didn't work. Not because people didn't try. But friends, God is building something up right here in the 40509. We have both the uh, quantitative and qualitative data to prove it. I can draw you a map of this, this area and show you the difference between our congregation. But I've sat down with a boatload of you and I can hear your stories and tell you the difference of what's happened because of this congregation. Because of what God is building up here. So, I ask you, how are you listening to the words God wants to speak to you? How are you listening to those who God has called in a very particular way to, to name uh, what he is building up and what he is tearing down? And how are you taking seriously your calling, which is all of our calling, a calling to salvation, a calling uh, to our Christian faith? Uh, if, if you told me today that I was called to what Jeremiah was called for, I'd run for the hills. But if you told me that I was called to love God, to love my neighbor, 
and to allow the Spirit to do a good work and bear fruit in my lives, I can get down for that. So, I invite you to pay attention to what God is building up, to what God is tearing down, and what God wishes to do in your life. I unashamedly love the communion table. It's the most subversive way that we can see what God is doing. Uh, If you had told a bunch of first century Jews that the way for God to, uh, in the most uh, serious way ever, the most serious way for God to redeem the world was for him to come in flesh and die, no one would have believed it. But he did. The course of humanity changed forever because Christ took on flesh, lived among us, taught us, died but then didn't give death the last word. And then gave us a spirit to daily bear witness to God's heart that we might be a people who take seriously that call to love, that call to be the salvation people. And it's at this table we can see it most clearly. This table where we're fed for what God has called us to. Our liturgy talks about uh, making us, making them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. That's the call. Friends, are you hearing God's call? Would you pray with me? Lord, we give thanks that you are the one building up and tearing down, the one speaking words of wisdom. May our hearts and minds be open to hear them day after day. Speak loudly, speak clearly, and where needed, get things out of our way that we might hear from you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.